This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Welcome into the Hoist the Colors podcast. It is another game week. Memphis is on the clock for East Carolina. And we're going to take a look ahead in the coming days at the Tigers in a more in-depth angle. But right now, we're going to also look back at the two-lane game and talk about just where ECU is at as a team right now. I'm Stephen Igo, the host of the Hoist the Colors podcast. I'm joined by Sean, a.k.a. Nova Pirates. You guys know him well. If you're on the Hoist of Colors message board, one of our more knowledgeable posters has experience in coaching football, and, and he sends me a lot of good texts during the course of uh, football games when the Pirates are playing. Most of the time, Sean, I can't respond, uh, but you always bring up some good points, and uh, I know just about everybody was frustrated watching the two-lane game. Uh, we'll start first with your your just overall thoughts coming out of that 24-9 loss to the Green Wave. Yeah, well, thanks for having me again. I really appreciate it and always love talking Pirates with you, Stephen. My reaction is probably very similar to everybody else's reaction. And whether you've coached or a fan, when you see a team underperform and a team that – you know, have some really nice pieces of the puzzle together. When you see some really skilled position um, players and when they don't execute, when they don't um, follow whatever game plan or if they are following a game plan that's in place, you know, the game plan's not correct. Something is happening where, everybody I think from the coaches to the players are not performing the way that we expect them to do and and I think particularly with the players that we know they can so watching all of this unfold is um it's it's just so frustrating because you know there's so much more potential there and you know as you look at what coach Houston has done he's assembled some really good players so watching them, I think, lose to what I think in terms of players were not as good by and large on the Tulane side of the ball. That's even more frustrating because you know that if they are able to put together a solid game, they I don't think they should have lost that. They did lose, but I think they had the potential to, to, to win. It should not have been 
we should not have scored that few points. And I, I thought the game was very winnable, um, but but in the end, it wasn't. Yeah, I mean, really, four or five plays, if they're different, it's a much different game. But, I mean, you can point to that in almost any football game. And at some point, ECU has to start making those plays against good competition. And, look, you know, Tulane is Tulane. I think a lot of ECU fans see that, and they saw last year's results, and they're like, man, we shouldn't be losing to Tulane. Well, maybe Tulane is the most improved team in the country. I mean, we got to give them some credit, but at the same time, like, there comes a point, too, where the Pirates have to get over this hump, especially against good teams. And that's kind of what, what I want to focus on, Sean, is what will it take for this team to get over the hump? Because, you know, you got Memphis, you got UCF, BYU, Cincinnati, Houston. I mean, that is a gauntlet of a five-game stretch. Nobody expected ECU to be 3-3 three and three right now. Maybe maybe Houston, Cincinnati aren't there, you know, what they were last year. But still, talent level-wise, they're going to be just as good, if not better, than Tulane. So, at some point, ECU's got to ascend. And what I struggle with, Sean, is this is the fourth year of the Coach Houston era. I mean, for sure. This is what he's done with the roster and the program has to be applauded. But at what point should we expect that next step, you know, in terms of the wins against quality competition? Yeah, that's a great question and, and a fair question, Stephen. This is not saying, hey, this is year one. You know, we're asking where the results are. This is year four. And typically in a program, it's a three to five year turnaround or a three to five year uh, progress or process. And that three to five years, you have a sense of where the program is going. It's 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 um, there are exceptions where some coaches have taken longer. But at the end of four years, I mean, here are the positives and, and you named it. I think Coach Houston is excellent at assembling a team and excellent at creating culture. I, I think that's the, the proof of that is undeniable. Uh, he has brought in, I think, the best talent that we've had since the rough era. Uh, and I think what Houston is really good at, I think he's probably, he seems to have been a really good student of this league. Because if you look at where he has built the team, He's built it in the trenches where we have struggled. Our D-line, I believe, is as good as any D-line in the AAC. I think the offensive line is getting better. But he's brought in players and he's brought in depth at those level, at at those uh, positions, which is really hard to do. And it's been very difficult for ECU. If you look at the skill positions, our receivers, I think, are as good as any receiver's in the league. I I never thought we'd have this much height at the receiver position. We have great height at the receiver position. We have really good running backs and he has been able to bring in uh, gun junior from uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Look, Louisiana has some legitimate high school talent. And the fact that uh, coach Houston has been able to sell the program to a kid who could have easily gone to one of the power five programs, that's impressive. So I, I, I think he does have a really good eye for what it takes to win in this league in terms of players and culture. Where we are lacking after four years, Stephen, and, and numbers don't lie, uh, typically they don't lie, you can't deny that we, can't, we are struggling to beat quality programs. We still, I think, are struggling to have an offensive identity. After watching this team for four years, I still can't tell you what our strategy is. I I really can't because 
Uh, it looks like we start out some, with something in the first half. Maybe we're going to commit to the run. Uh, and then by the second half, uh, especially when we're losing, right, even if it's close, we abandon ship way too early. So we don't have an offensive, uh, I think, philosophy that I, most of us can point to. And to be honest, we're still struggling with a quarterback after five years that makes decisions that a fifth-year quarterback just shouldn't be making. And, um, you know, obviously this is a, Holton's a tough kid. Uh, his numbers look really good. If you look at his, I think he has a 67% passing percentage right now. All of that is really good, but in those clutch moments, he is failing to make the right decisions. And if you if we're struggling with an offensive identity and we're struggling with the top playmaker making the right plays, it's no surprise then that we're three and three, because until I think you can have one or the other, I don't think you can have both and be successful. I don't think you can have an, an offensive identity that's unclear and a playmaker that makes plays that at this level in the game, I don't think should be making those plays. So if you, you know, and then of course, but I don't think all of that, and then I don't think that's by accident. I mean, four years, we've had enough time to sort of evaluate talent. We've had enough time for coach Houston to say, Hey, you know, what's going on on the offensive side in terms of strategy. So I'm not letting coach Houston off the hook because after four years, he's responsible for this. But until we can fix those two things, what are we doing offensively and making better decisions at the quarterback level? I think we're going to struggle to continue to win against quality programs. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough to argue with anything you said, and, and we've seen flashes of, of great offensive play. Now, most of that has come against subpar competition. You know, you can point to the fact that South Florida almost beat Cincinnati and almost beat Florida, but at the end of the day, you know, they're still not a good football team. You know, they're, they are what their record says they are. You got to win over Campbell. You know, you did beat a decent ODU team. I think they'll probably finish around six and six, maybe seven and five. And, but I mean, against NC State, you played well for two quarters, uh, two lane. You know, really, you made the mistakes in the red zone that cost you. And then the second half didn't play well at all. Um, so, and you look at the, the other game against Navy, which is a quality defense. You know, their run defense is among the best in America, but. You know, you, you just have to find a way to win one of those games. And unfortunately, the Navy game I point to is like, if you're four and two right now, I don't think there's as much of a panic uh, coming out of this two lane loss. But the fact that you lost that game means you need to steal another one to make up for it. And right now, I just don't know if that'll happen um, unless things change. So, Sean, let's get into that. Six games left. ECU was three and three last year. You know, there was optimism that they would have a second half run. They did. Now this second half is going to be a little different than last year, you know, starting with Memphis and you mentioned some of the things that, that need to change. Can, can they change things offensively in the, in the final six games? Because I feel like they're going to have to do something different. You can't just line up and, and do what they've been doing against Memphis UCF and especially Houston, Cincinnati, BYU to, you know, and expect to win these games. At some point you have to make that adjustment. Yeah. So, um, Manny Diaz, who is sort of a defensive, uh, 
coordinator guru. He bounces all over the place, but really, really good. Diaz once said, and I think it was when he was with Mississippi um, or Mississippi State, he said that uh, about 60% in his estimation of all offenses, of all modern offenses, all share kind of the same schematic, same plays. And and that is if you look at modern offenses, and and we have that as well, um, what you really want to do is spread the, um, the receivers, which we're doing. It's a spread offense, but it's a spread offense to run. And this really, it's really kind of interesting. This begins with Northwestern in 2000 when they're in a really tough conference and they've got to figure out a way to sort of grind it through some really tough competitions. And the offensive coordinator and coach get together and say, look, let's spread the ball because they're already spreading it, but we're going to spread it to run. So if you look at what ECU does, we sort of have those same principles, right? We spread the ball in order to run. Um, most offenses have a lot of optionality, right? So uh, the quarterback, a lot of RPOs, uh, a lot of ability to sort of uh, option it to the running back or for Holton to, to run it. Um, and then, you know, pace. And I don't think we do a good job at pace. And all this is to say, Stephen, our offense is pretty much set. And so and to install a new offense that has a different schematic than the one that I just mentioned and the one that we're already doing. I mean, we're doing all those, we're, we're doing a lot of things that other offenses are doing in this league. The problem is, is that if you look at two of the top offenses right now in the country, Ohio state with Ryan day and Tennessee with Josh Herpel, who's done, has done an amazing job turning that program around you'll see some of the same plays that we're doing, but here's the difference. There are two big differences. And unless we can correct this, we're going to struggle. Their quarterbacks make very few uh, bad decisions. And when both of those teams, if you ever have a chance to watch them on Saturday, both of those teams are intentional in setting up plays. So in other words, there, uh, there's, a, there's a distinct strategy of what they want to accomplish on each set of downs. And they will use down one or two to set up down three. So there's a lot of strategic thought in how the plays are chosen. Where I think we're struggling, Stephen, is it looks to me like we have the same plays that a lot of people do, right? That's just what modern offenses do. But where we're struggling with the OC, I believe, is in is, is being strategic in how those plays are run. So that's the first thing is I don't think we can change the, the core of the offense. And unless we get better at being strategic with how we set up plays and who we give the ball to, I think we're going to struggle. And the second part of this is Holton has got to be a better decision maker. And if you look at that interception that he makes uh, to Lane in the third quarter, was I think it was the third quarter, or was it the late third quarter, early fourth Yeah, yeah quarter? late third quarter. He has his check down wide open, right? And, and there's a pushing sometimes of the ball that I don't understand. So until or unless those two things improve, how we call, why we call the plays, the strategy of it, and the decision-making, Steve, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm, I'm a pirate, so I'm always optimistic, but um, I'm also, I'm a little worried, to be honest. I'm a little worried about what these next few games look like. 
Yeah, and I, I guess if there is a good thing, it's that Memphis is one of the, the weaker defenses in the league, at least statistically, and they've given up a lot of points, even in North Texas, Arkansas State. So there should be some some points out there, but you're going to have to score a lot because their offense is really good. And I think the big test offensively for ECU will come in the weeks to follow. I mean, UCF, BYU, Cincinnati, you're going to face three of the top probably 25 defenses in the country. So – That'll be the real test. Uh, I, I want to get your take on something, Sean. So after the game, Holton made the comment, um, I believe, on the Pirate, Pirate Radio Players Lounge and again in our press meeting on Tuesday that Tulane made adjustments during the game and he felt that ECU's offense did not. I don't know if that's a reflection on himself, his teammates, you know, Donnie Kirkpatrick, the offensive coordinator, maybe all of the above. Maybe he's saying we didn't make adjustments offensively because I did notice during the game there were times Holton would escape the pocket and you know the initial you know they're dropping eight basically the entire game dropping seven eight playing coverage the initial routes were covered he would scramble and there were holes in the zone defense but guys would just quit running and I felt like that was kind of I don't know if they were tired or what but Isaiah Winstead was about the only guy that was running he got most of those targets I just felt like there was a disconnect somewhere with the offensive offense during that game, and I don't know if it was the the game plan, the players, or what. But I'm just curious what you make of those comments. Yeah, so it, it's interesting. Um, it, on television, it's hard to sort of see once the right. route tree has started, and that that's interesting that you saw that. So I think one of the things I said at the beginning of the season, when 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 you and I met early, when we looked at the offense, was. I had two concerns with bringing in new receivers. One was making sure that both Holton and the new receivers were on the same page. And then two for me is um, you never quite know what kind of player you get until they start playing ball. And so it's, that's really uh, disappointing if, if they just stopped in their routes, because once that drill starts, once the scramble drill starts sort of offense one-on-one uh, for the receivers is you run like typically uh, receivers will sort of be given uh, several options for different patterns that they can run. If they're not running any patterns, that makes it really difficult for, for Holton. So I hope they get on the same page for that. The other part of that though, Stephen, that, I, and I, I saw that this week too. And I also saw coach Houston sort of talk about Tulane one of the things that concerns me a little bit in, in the way that we talk about other teams is I think we talk a little bit too much about what they're doing versus what we're doing. And so, um, and I, I heard this sort of post game from, from, from Holton and I think coach Houston, right. This is what Tulane did. Well, they caught us in, in this, I think that's fine to a degree, but that, spells out part of our problem that if we are reacting more to what they're doing versus us sticking to a game plan, right? It's very difficult to win if all you're doing is sort of saying, uh, you know, team A did this really well and we had to, to react the best way that we could. So I wish there was a little less sort of um, saying this is what they did versus this is what we're going to do. And I think that's part of this. What is our offensive strategy, right? What are the, what, what does Donnie and, and coach Houston, 
what do they want to accomplish at the end of each half, at the end of each quarter? I, I think we're a little lost in that area. I, I really do. Yeah, because if, if you look at how Tulane approached the game, and they've been playing defense the same way the whole year. They primarily play coverage. And they were given a pretty soft box early in that game. And he was running the ball well. And then it's almost like, I don't know if they overthought it or what, or Tulane showed some different looks, but they never brought a blitz on a drop back the entire game, which is, is insane to think about this day and age in college football. Uh, and they, I did I did watch Billy Fritz's uh, press conference after the game. He said ECU was running the stretch to the boundary early in the game, and then they adjusted to it, and then basically that – that ne- neglected that, but still you got to be able to come up with another running play uh, against a, a soft box, I guess, to, to, to counter that. You can't just let them drop back and play coverage the entire game and, and throw a little three yard outs or three yard dump off passes. And I, I even, I would have been happy with a little bit more of that in the second half. I think part right. of what we did was I think we kept trying uh, lots of verticals when those verticals weren't open. And, and what I am a little confused in, so in the modern game, you want your quarterback to have the ability to make plays and to call uh, changes at the line. That, that's all normal. What, what I don't know, Stephen, is how much leeway has Holton been given? So, you know, so how much of this is being either audible at the line or uh, is the offensive coordinator saying to Holton, look, it, it's your choice once the tree pattern starts. Because I think if that's happening, I, I think we've got some more coaching to do in terms of saying to Holton, look, you, the check down is here. If, if you've got four deep defenders, you can't keep, you know, sort of just uh, flinging it down the, to the end zone and with these deep outs. And that's what caught us with that interception. Um, uh, Holton was pushing it. Look, trying to make a play, and you can't fault him for that. But there were other people open. And and this, again, is my confusion. How much leeway is he given versus us as a a team and as a coordinator just not doing a good job and and coaching him and saying, take what's open for now and we'll do what we can as we get closer. But um, so I look in four years into the program, Stephen, I, I don't think there should be that confusion. Yeah. And second and one against Navy, he threw the pick and it was first and 10 at the Tulane 24 on that pick. And, you know, Hatfield was open, but if you're going to throw it, you got to be damn sure that you're going to complete it in a game like that. And that's the, the frustrating part. And, and the other frustrating part is look, Nobody wants it more than Holton, and maybe that's part of the issue is that he feels like because the offense is struggling, he has to do something above and beyond, and that leads to those mistakes. Uh, you know, I don't know. It's just it, – it just feels like we've been having the same conversation for three years, though. And, and what's the constant here, though? The constant is same QB. Right. Same OC. Um. And I mean, same home. I mean, ultimately, Coach Houston is responsible for this, but I think clearly there is a disconnect between there's either a disconnect happening, Stephen, or Coach Houston has said, okay, I put so much emphasis into the rebuilding of this. The last phase of this is to really sort of make sure that we find someone 
who can coach quarterbacks and can really sort of implement an offense that people can can run and score points on. I mean, that and that may be the last part of this, right? Because I mean, clearly he has built. I think there's some really good pieces to this team. It looks to me like the, the, the last piece of this, to be honest, is a playmaker behind center that makes better decisions more often than not. And this is, I mean, Holton's doing the best he can, All right, The guy is out there and he's, and he's a great pirate, but you know, the best quarterbacks in this league, more times than not are making the right throw at the right time. And, and that's, that's the truth. And I'll say this for people that keep saying that Mason Garcia needs to play. And I, I personally wouldn't have an, a, a problem with him seeing a series or two every now and then, but I will say Holton's the best this team has right now. And so, you know, obviously Mason could grow with game experience and I get people are you know tired of having the same conversations we're having, but still, Holton's going to be the guy the rest of this year unless the thing goes off the rails, uh, and which is why we're having a conversation about how it can finish up strongly. Um, but we'll just have to wait and see. I, I do want to circle back with the offense, Sean, before we wrap up. But let's talk defense, and, and we got to talk special teams. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. I mean, I don't even know what to say special teams-wise at this point. Um, I asked Coach Houston last week if there was a competition at kicker. I asked him after the game about it. He said Daffer missed the extra point, just point blank, and then the field goal block was a result of them, the protection unit, not being on the same page, and he basically just shook his head and said, I don't know how that happens, Um, which I think kind of says it all. But it's just – not only what's happening special teams wise is unacceptable, but how much does this just deflate the entire team like, and hurt its psyche? Oh, it's um, it's interesting because when we look, when people look at special teams, they think, okay, it's a punter, it's a kicker. I think in terms of emotional momentum, there's no more important, no more important plays or people that are part of that team than the um, the people who make those kicks and punts and block because um, you know m- missing one field goal every three games okay that's th- that's not going to affect a team but if you've worked hard and you've scored and you've like you've given it everything and you don't score the point. That that's easily with as close as these games can be, 
it's easily often the deciding factor between who wins the game or who doesn't. One point, three points. And it's extremely deflating because you're you're saying to yourself, I'm out here practicing. I'm doing what I need to do. Why can't they fix this? And so and it's you know, I think it's symptomatic of part of us sort of scratching our heads after four years and saying, how does something like that happen on, on the fourth year? Um, I, I, I can tell you this, at some point, it's not fair to Daffer to keep him in, you know, like at some point, and I really appreciate Coach Houston's loyalty to these kids. And I'm, and I'm glad that he has protected him, but at some point for Daffer's own psyche, right? You, you want to try to find an alternative, give him a, give him a game off, give him some time to kind of take a step back, let him keep kicking, taking kicks. But we, I think we've got to find somebody who can do field goals um, for, for Daffer's own mental health as, as well. But it's to answer your question, there's no more emotional sort of uh, sort of uplifting or deflating part of the game than than special teams. And looking at the two lane game, I mean, you, you, you score the touchdown to take the lead. You miss the extra point. Air goes out of the sidelines. And then they go on a 93-yard drive, kind of suck the wind out of you. And then also at halftime, you got a you got a drive going. You got good field position uh, off the punt going into halftime. You're down 14 to nine. You know, you're kind of on the edge of field goal range there, can't complete some passes. So that leaves you with a, I think a 43 yard attempt. And you could just feel it, man. Nobody thought that ball was going to go through the uprights from the special teams unit to the sideline. It was just like, you're kind of holding your breath. And I think it just has a negative impact on the team. Instead of making a field goal going into halftime, you get a field goal block going into halftime. You're like, damn, here we go again. Same old crap. And it's just like, it just has a negative lingering effect on the team. Um, I'm to the point now, Sean, where it's like, if Daffer's not being replaced, I guess just nobody else can kick. I mean, I, I don't, or maybe they, they don't have another holder or snapper. There's other guys on the roster, but it's like, I think we've seen enough that you have to make a change. And if not, there, there has to be nobody better is what I think. Yeah, because I, I think, and I don't think the hold has any, I don't think the hold is a huge part of this. I, I don't, that last kick that he looked where it, it, to me, it looks like he's holding on to the kick too long. Um, and I think he's, it's like a golfer, you know, holding on to the swing too long and you're trying to get it like a big hit. But I think that's what he's obviously trying the best that he can. But I think where coach, it, if there's not another kicker, then so be it, right? That's you can't make uh, an can't a free agent. Yeah, <laughs> but if there is, and and this, Stephen, I think may be part of where Coach Houston has some like growing to do. We all do. Holding on to people too long or a concept too long that's clearly not working, but you're doing it out of loyalty, which is a which is like you know one of the highest values there is. At some point, sort of saying, you know, when is me holding as a coach holding on to something hurting everybody else, right, or detrimental to the rest of the team? Because what happens is, is that when we're making bad decisions 
when our top playmaker is making bad decisions and then you add something that should be a give me, it really does psychologically, I think as a team, you begin to say, and this is the worst thing that can happen to a team is when you begin to say, I guess we're just destined to lose. Or, you know what, that's, uh, it's not our season here, you know, and players are very superstitious. And so it doesn't take much to sort of, you know, push players uh, over to, to despair. And you would think, how does a kicker move, a, you know, a 320 pound lineman into despair, but, but it does. And that's a great observation. And it, it just does. So we've, I feel like we've been pretty negative on this podcast, uh, but I mean, you know, we're reactionary, you know, we're coming off a dif- difficult loss, three and three. Uh, I feel like the team has underperformed at least wins and loss wise to this point. And so, uh, but, but the most positive part, Sean has definitely been the defense. I, I think there were some, there were some moments they definitely won't back from the two lane game, but at the end of the day, you give up 24 points and they're giving up low twenties per game right now, which is a very good number in college football. And that's probably another frustrating point is if you fix the offense, you know, you don't have to average 30 points a game, but if you can score high twenties against respectable defenses and you fix the kicking game, you've got a really good shot to be a good team here and you can beat good teams the second half of the year. So you have kind of that defensive backbone and now it's just a matter of, of building off that. We, are very like we're very close and that's what's so excruciating about this is if we didn't have the players in place if the depth wasn't there if the skill positions weren't there if the defense wasn't there I think we could be very philosophical about this and say okay this is another rebuilding season but I think because we are so close our expectations are pretty high and um, and as, as they should be, right? So um, as we look into the rest of the season, I do think there are things to be hopeful about. And I think the defense is the first because the defense, it's clear the defense is going to keep us in every game for the rest of the year. So that's all a positive. This defense is good enough, I think, to if, if the offense could match, um, we, we can be competitive if not beat the rest of the teams if the offense can somehow manage what the defense is doing. Um, I am an eternal optimist, actually, so, but I think unless kind of our play, chief playmaker makes less of these bad decisions at the wrong moments and we don't do a better job of being strategic in our play calling, I think we're going to struggle. But if we can correct just half of that, I, I think we can be competitive with the rest of the season. A few minutes left, Sean. So let's let's take a quick look at Memphis. Again, really high-scoring offense, give up some points. When you turn on the, the game Saturday, I don't know if you're, you're planning to come, but either way, when you look at this game, what are you going to be looking for? Is it mainly the offense or is it special teams? What, what do you really feel like is the key to victory? So uh, the first thing I'm going to look for is the decision making at, at QB and, um, and simple things like I have been writing, uh, things I'm looking for. And one of them is, you know, simple is, is Holton planning his feet. Um, is he, um, making his progressions? Is he, uh, making the right throws? 
But I'm also, what I'm really most interested in for this Saturday, Stephen, is can we really move the ball through, uh, through the run? Because it's clear that that is really what this team is predicated on, is running and then passing or balance, but we spread to run. So Ken Gunn Jr., who I think is an, an amazing back, Ken Gunn Jr. continued to really sort of hit his stride. And what I love about him is he sees the hole and he goes. I mean, there's not a lot of hesitation. So I'm looking and decision-making and can we run the ball? And um, what's our sort of progression in the play calling? That's what I'm, that's what I'm looking for. And then crossing my finger with the field goals. <laughs> that's all you can do at this point is yeah. <laughs> cross your fingers, hold your breath. Um, and I, I, I heard Mike Houston say the other day, he's never practiced or rep field goal kicking as much in his life. So, I mean, they're working on it. They're trying everything they can. I mean, that's the thing. People think that they're just like sending Daffer out there and, I mean, they're they're working their ass off trying to fix it. It's just, it's, I don't know if they don't have the personnel, the right plan, but they, they got to get it fixed. They realize that, and who knows? Maybe they'll find a way, Sean. Uh, maybe Gaffer with a game winner. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing, too, Stephen. They're all working. I mean, they all want to win. Um, but winning in this league and this conference, honestly, uh, it often boils down to one, maybe two plays. It's it's that close in this conference, and I don't think this. I don't think Houston's been in a conference like this. So yeah, and um, I think there's still some learning to be done there. No doubt. Well, Sean, we appreciate the time, man, and, and uh, as always, appreciate your insights. And people can read more of your your takes on hoistcolors.net. I know you, you usually have like things you'll be looking for on game day. Are you planning to, to post that again heading into Saturday? I will. Yes. Okay. Awesome. Well, Nova pirate, Sean, we appreciate it as always. And uh, for him, I am Steven. I with the hoisted colors podcast. We'll be back either Thursday or Friday for a final look and a prediction for the Memphis game. But until then, thank you guys for listening. season of the original hit series mayor of kingstown my job is to create a balance avoid a war from executive producer taylor sheridan co-creator of yellowstone there's some new players in town and they brought the flag and antoine fuqua director of training day i know it's always been a war zone mike but this is next level the mayor is back in business are you warning me you're gonna find out mayor of kingstown new season streaming june 2nd exclusively on paramount plus